Welcome, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, and wonderful people of this world, people I adore, and people I want to know more about. Today, my guest is Bill Donius. He is innovation plus ideation facilitator. He is a speaker and author of the New York Times bestseller, Thought Revolution, which is an awesome book, by the way. Thank you for being here, Bill. Happy to be here. Thank you. And you were also a past TEDx Gateway Arch speaker. That's true. I, that was a great experience. It was a wonderful experience. And talk about that. One of the things I loved, when you were our speaker, we did something a little bit different. We actually had to put some things out there for the audience. Do you remember? I think it was weird and wonderful and maybe wacky, too. Totally so I guess wacky. I, I guess that's why I'm on, You're right? You're perfect to yeah, be here. Exactly. exactly. Well, we broke the mold a bit by asking audience members to participate in the TED Talk um, and experience something for themselves, which could be as dramatic as potentially hemispheric division in their own brain. So it was that was a bit weird. Even if scientifically proven, it was uh, certainly for most of them, I think, a bit weird. But you have 1,100 people doing something weird at the same time. It was also it was also fun, and I think proved the point right. Well, and an amazing, it was is an amazing experience, and I've got to experience it twice now. One, when you did the talk, and then you came in and you helped our TEDx team do an ideation session, which has really, has really put us on the right path to truly create the kind of organization we're looking to create. Wow. Delighted to hear. That's great. So thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So you, uh, you are a busy man. You, you haven't been home for a while because you've been out and about doing many things. Tell us. Yeah, well, it's, it's I like, uh, what I've done is to basically um, find a way to leverage the neuroscience that Dr. Roger Sperry won a Nobel Prize for in 1981, which is a way of thinking differently, thinking more creatively to problem solve the everyday problems we confront in life you know, from something simple to maybe a strategic plan as, as big as that is or, you know, anything in between. And so it turns out that this, uh, this way of thinking is helpful in a world where people are looking for more innovation, more creative solutions, looking to kind of break out of that path that produces just more of the same. Right. So it, and people don't really have a good way of doing that. You know, there's a lot of things that may be somewhat helpful. And, 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 and so this path is uh, very simple and straightforward. And so I think it's, and it's easy to learn. And so I think that's why audiences and, and big, whether it's a corporate team and a, a Fortune 500 company or a, you know, a more creative team or just you know, any kind of audience potentially is interested in you know, maybe learning something new to just help them be more effective and 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 maybe be and maybe live in a broader sense, maybe on a personal level, live their lives in a more intentional manner. Because sometimes we get stuck right. in certain problems, and we just don't know how to work our way out of them. So this is a way to do that. So I, I'm happy and honored to be getting invitations for some some of the, uh, the country's biggest brands. Uh, I work with the UAW. I work with the National Association of Realtors. With for Kawasaki, for Northern Trust. Walt Disney Studios. So it's fun, you know, working with these big corporate teams as well as, you know, being invited to speak. I was just returned from Italy at Sestri Levanti where they had a conference on innovation and creativity. So 
that's cool. So it's it's fun to be in a place where people are interested in, in thinking differently. Well, and you yourself, you I mean, you were in the banking world for a long time. And then once you're like, okay, I'm I'm done with this chapter in my life and I'm off to, to find another chapter. And I love the story about how you were searching and you came across this idea and then you were supposed to write a book and you were like, really? I'm supposed to write a book? That's what's supposed to come out of this? <laughs> well, well, I certainly had 20 years in a world that wasn't very weird or wacky. Or, and and, and it, was, it was wonderful for me. I enjoyed it, those 20 years. But, um, you know, I think oftentimes we feel like because we've been doing something for a long time, and in my case, I was, I was, you know, blessed and lucky. I was the leading that organization as the CEO and had taken the company public. So it was, um, you know, something I was very much invested in. But it doesn't necessarily have to mean we have to do that till we're 65. Yes. You know, it's, it's really about um, being in touch and being aware of, like, what's important to us and then being very intentional and making sure we act on those things because it's it's – it's easy again to say to stay stuck, to stay in the groove, and and there there are actually neurobiological reasons why we do that. You know, we get ingrained and entrenched, and, and scientists would say even encultured with an e, encultured in habits and routines that make it really hard to get out of the groove. So in my case, it was a deep dive in a session um, where I was taking a personal retreat, and I was really thinking about like what I wanted to do in my life after age 50 and beyond. You know, do I want to spend another 15 years in banking or do something else? And so I realized how important this process that I had learned, uh, what I guess at the time was 10 years before, and it helped me in my personal life and it helped me figure out some things. So I thought, wow, this could maybe, and then when it helped me also in business, I thought this might be something I want to actively explore in a, in a greater sense to see if this could work, you know, and for for people in business or in their personal lives. And I knew it was already working in psychology because the book that I read was based in, in psychology. And then there was another book based in in the art world. And so my insight was, gosh, in business, we're not, and in, in kind of in everyday life, you know, we're not even aware right. that this 1981 Nobel Prize winning discovery could help us in any way. So so I thought it, it really needs to be kind of out there more. So that was the sort of basis for this. And, well, and everybody has what they need, and that's a brain. If you have a brain, you can do this. True. <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple. Right? And, and we willingness. actually, and, and scientists would say, Michael Gazzaniga has written several books, and he's probably one of the most preeminent uh, neuroscientists in the world. Uh, he studied under Dr. Roger Sperry, and he's written two books titled Of Two Minds. So we, we uh-huh. sort of end in books like that. So more than just one brain, the real essence of this work is we actually, you might say we actually have two brains, right. the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, and each do different things. But the important distinction is we can activate uh, the lesser to, to get to kind of right hemisphere, creative, intuitive part of our brain using this process. So that's that's why it's really cool because most of us were just using and thinking the way we've always thought. Right. Well, and, and you and I have talked about it before where it's we get comfortable within our discomfort. And sometimes you have to get out of that. I mean, because it's, it's, it's the mm. known thing, right? So I'm, I'm not comfortable right now, but I know this world. So I'm just going to stay here. Great point. It's we, we crave the familiar and we resist change. Even if we know somewhere 
deep down that we probably need to make a change. We just it's just very hard to get the the energy up to do it because we, we we just it's easier to stay in the groove. Exactly. So we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back in just a moment with Bill Donius. Hi, this is Katie Beth from Chicks and Pits Podcast and Pit Dorable Dog Rescue. Join us June 19th for Puppies in the Park at Bee Tree Park in South County from 1 to 4 p.m. Hello, you are back listening to Mishmash, and we are talking to Bill Donius. Bill, I've been through the process. Other people that, you know, within TEDx have been through the process. And we even brought this process to my company, 100th Monkey Media, to work with our team. But will you explain to people what is an ideation session? What does that look like? Well, it's actually very similar to brainstorming, which was invented in, as it turns out, the 1940s. And Hmm. Alex Osborne um, has a book, Applied Imagination, in 1950-ish kind of launched it officially. He was the O and BBDO. And so for all these years since, 80 years, it's been kind of the standard way of uh, thinking in maybe a divergent manner. So I think of this, I've kind of used ideation in my own definition and description as as taking the basis of brainstorming and, be, and using it in, in an even more divergent manner. Because what we're doing is, is instead of just using our typical thought process and throwing out ideas in a room, we're also invoking and activating the right hemisphere of the brain to get those even more creative, more intuitive, those more elusive ideas that, we, that may come up in a brainstorming session, but I've noticed typically does not. Right. You know, and so, problem solving. You, yeah, you so talked we, about that's where the problem solving brain is. Right, and exactly. And we typically get you know, more of the garden variety kinds of ideas that pop up in brainstorming sessions. And there are some limitations because sometimes we can have, you know, the research shows that big groups do worse than small groups in brainstorming. People are yelling out ideas. People are intimidated. They don't share their, you know, their, their fear of judgment. So I break through a lot of those um, in the ideation sessions that I do, uh, a lot of those limitations in part because we're collecting ideas in silence when, right. when people are invited to write their ideas down on paper. And then, and then, but the important differentiator is that once they learn how to invoke and activate the right brain, then they're also capturing ideas from a place they may not have ever gotten to before. That, that, and oftentimes they're super divergent. Uh, sometimes they're not that different. Sometimes it's the blinding obvious that no one has even thought about yet. So they don't have to be wacky. They can be really basic right. and, and obvious sometimes. But in blending those with the <clears throat> more traditional ideas perhaps allows for you know, just a process that maybe uh, and I've found in these eight years produces typically better outcomes because you have better, better kind of better information going in, more ideas, more plentiful, more, more divergent. And then when you start to solve for all of that and build consensus around what the group feels is the best thinking, the best ideas, there's a lot of power in that, you know, and there's not as much ownership and who, who came up with it because they're oftentimes the ultimate ideas are blended and kind of left brain, right brain, one person, another person, a team, another team. So it's a very inclusive way to do problem solving. 
That is really interesting. And I think, and and you're right. I mean, I remember, I now that I'm thinking back to when we did this with TEDx, it wasn't like one person came up with the idea. It was a number of different ideas that came together for a solution. And in a sense, when you get people to tap into that, that part of the brain that they don't use as much as the other side of the brain, then they get out of their own way. That's true. And they also have a tendency to like their ideas, you know, but then they also recognize a good idea when it comes from someone else. So I think of this as really sort of the um, democratization of strategy or the democratization of good ideas or the meritocracy of, you know, letting good ideas float to the top and get voted on and, and have get embraced. And, and it's a, it's a very engaging way of running a company or a team or an organization because, you know, it's not just the the, the top five people at the top of the pyramid doing, exactly. quote, all the thinking right. and then passing down the commandments to everyone else, if you will. This is like inviting everybody to get involved, their left brains and their right brains, and and participate, to think, to bring their best ideas forward. And and so it's, it's really uh, cool to kind of witness that the power of that process it's 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 fun to do it's fun to facilitate as well because you see the the excitement the energy the enthusiasm for the process and it's also really effective you know with millennials because they don't want to be waiting on the sidelines for 20 years to be invited into a strategy session exactly. you know they want to be uh, participating, and if not, they'll just as soon disrupt and start their own solution, their own company, and which is great. I mean, we we need the innovation in mm-hmm. this country. You know, we need more of that. So, and 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 that is your recommendation. Your recommendation is ne- let's not just get the top brass, if you will, into a room, but you want them to bring everybody to the table because. There are ideas of the people that are in the front lines, let's say. You know, they're, they're the people there on the ground. They are seeing the everyday ins and outs of the business. They have amazing ideas that the top brass could be missing out on. Right. And one company, we started with the 43 um, managers, and then it went so well, uh, the CEO wanted uh, all of his 200 managers to participate. That was also true in the context of the labor movement. Uh, the president of the UAW, which has 435,000 members, wanted oh all goodness. of his 200 and whatever it was, 20 managers to be present. Uh, Walt Disney Studios, they wanted all of their top management team to be participating in this process. So uh, at Northern Trust, we had the whole management team. So it's great to see, you know, and it can be, and it doesn't have to be managers. It can also be, you know, more broad and have um, em- entire employee groups and entire company could participate. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's like whoever, however the project wants to be defined, it can be the board of directors, the management team, and an employee group even. So it's not, it's as you saw with the 1,100 that participated um, at, at TEDx, uh, at Wells Fargo, we uh, we had uh, I think it was uh, over 200 managers participating, and and the key is that they can go into breakout groups of six to eight. Right. So it's it's not you go from something big to something small, and then you and then you let those best ideas kind of get voted on and and see where where it's where they're where they're going in the room. Are there any of these sessions that um, that you have conducted that you feel like? Just really stand out, like at the what you know what what happened at the end that you went wow, awesome that this came out of that. Well, they honestly they all do in some manner because they knock wood. Every single one has served to produce 
something valuable, unique, uh, different, and that you know organizations didn't have before. Probably one of the more dramatic ones because it's been it happened during the recession of 2009. But a company, uh, Crown Vision, here in St. Louis. Um, their 43 managers came up with, I think it was four to five ideas that led to a 19% bottom line improvement in the company's bottom line in the recession of 2009. Wow. When the industry was down like 40%, they were up uh, 19%. So that that story was remarkable. And actually, my editor, Simon Schuster, said, wow, let's include that in this updated version of Thought Revolution. So that's in the new book, along with, I guess, there are like seven other kind of organizational stories uh, that vary as from as different as an individual artist uh, to, you know, the National Association of Realtors and big and small companies like using this as well as the first part of the book is about how this works on a personal basis for us as a tool. Thought Revolution. Get it. It's on Amazon. I had, I've given out many copies in my days. Well, thank you, Bill. We're going to come right back. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Bill Donius in just a moment. Want to find out what this podcasting buzz is all about and how it can help you reach your target market in a unique and engaging way? Schedule a tour of Studio C Radio today by emailing studiocradio at gmail.com. And we're back with Mishmash, and I'm talking to Bill Donius. Okay, Bill, I've gone through this exercise twice with you, but the second time it was so significant. And this is my weird and wacky question time. So I'm going to kind of make this question a little bit about me, but how did I go? So there's in the exercise, we're asked to write down with our dominant hand an animal. What is the question? The question is, if I were an animal. If I were an animal. What animal would I be? That's the first question in the book. And so uh, with my... Dominant hand, my right hand, I wrote down otter. Fun, playful, how I see myself. But then when I was asked that same question and write down my answer with my left non-dominant hand, I wrote down elephant. Now, when I did this exercise, it was so profound to me because I realized, one, I have always been weirdly attracted to the elephant-headed Hindu god Ganesha. It's always been a big part of things. I never understood why. I don't I mean I didn't grow up Hindu. You know, my parents weren't like, "Here, read this book about Hinduism." Right. Um, and then the other part of it was when when we were supposed to say we were supposed to also write down what when we think of that. When I thought of the elephant, what did I think of? And I wrote down a whole bunch of words, but the two words that stuck out the most for me was um, purposeful and little birds. And the little birds thing was so interesting because I realized that that is kind of how, like I, when I go into a room and I know lots and lots of people and then I just feel like the, 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 there's little birds, all these people around me and there's lots of excitement. We're all talking and what have you. But the purposeful part of it that my husband came to, you know, brought to the table and I was like, he's so right. Dan said, well, Mish feels so responsible about all the people around her and she she has a purpose with every single person. She wants their world to be wonderful and what have you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so sweet. And that's and also such a, reflecting maybe that Hindu, what's the role of the Hindu God? He, uh, he is the God of writers and the God of overcoming obstacles. Okay, so that fits and, too. Yeah, right? so yeah. that totally fits because Mish, Mish, Mish writes and Mish has overcome some obstacles. That'll probably come out in some other podcast, but yeah, absolutely. So how did I get from cute, playful, happy otter in the stream, you know, having a good old time to very purposeful, I am the elephant? 
That, I think you experienced uh, the fact that you have two brains. And, you, and it's one thing to say that and you kind of scratch your head going, what? That seems inconceivable, right? Except that when you experience it for yourself, you're much more likely to believe it because you've just had, you know, it's not a theoretical experience. It's an actual experience that you've had in your own brain and your own thought process. So what typically is happening is the way we respond with our dominant hand is a proxy for conventional thinking. And mm -hmm. so we hear that question, if I were an animal, and we answer it in a way that's maybe aspirational. You know, we, and, and so we think about a number of different possibilities and we write one down. And so normally, in, it, we, it, typically in life, we'd be done, right? That would be our problem-solving process. You might have thought about a range of options. You came up with one and wrote it down. Fine, that would be it. Except now you learned that it's possible to activate the neural pathway to the right hemisphere, which is by definition thought to be independent from the left and thought to be the place where creativity, uh, problem-solving, intuition, musicality, artistry, all the, these other skills reside. Right. So it's as if... You know, and it and scientists believe this is the case, but it hasn't. I don't know that it's been fully proven out, but that you can activate the neural pathway using the non-dominant hand because the the non-dominant hand control is controlled by the right side of the brain. So you're getting the. But it's not importantly, it's not a handwriting exercise, or right. you would have just written, you know, otter again. Right. So it, it's you have to. Be, you have to learn this process and be willing to suspend disbelief and allow another answer to go from brain to hand rather than just writing it down. You know? right. So, so it's, it's really unique and different, but it explains how with Elephant that that answer I found in doing these now in the 200 initial interviews that I did in, in writing the book, I saw this was true. And my uh, mentor, Dr. Lucia Capacnione, who I studied with for a year, she's done this 30,000 times. I've probably done it uh, 13,000 times now in the last uh, uh, eight years or so in big groups and small. We had 1,100 on that one day. Right. So it's like, well, what's happening here? And what seems to be happening is that we're activating the neural pathways and getting an answer from our right brain that's more representationally true about how we live our lives. Right. So that's that's the distinction. It's it's a different kind of answer, but it doesn't stop there because when you get the answer elephant, the next question is, okay, well, what characteristics do I share with an elephant? So it works in a didactic manner where you can keep going deeper, deeper, deeper so that you walk away with that aha, like, oh, okay, I've learned something about myself because in comparing either literally or metaphorically myself to an elephant, I'm learning what that means and why. Exactly. And, and it's and it's fast. And, and let me just say, that's one question from your book. Right. There are, uh, yeah, yeah that, you get that insight that. from one question. Yeah, there are 55 <laughs> to go, 54 to go. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I would like to ask you another wacky question. You you are a traveler. You tra you've traveled a lot in your life, and my hope is one day we have beaming technology so that we can beam ourselves from one place to another. But do you see that there might like what kind of inconveniences may there be in beaming travel? Like we know what there what the inconveniences are in air travel. Well, the it may you know omit the random kind of occurrences that occur along the way along the path. You know, it's the 
It's the journey as opposed to the end destination. So we might not, you know, get stuck in an airport and meet those people that we end up meeting or uh, having a random conversation with a traveler along the way that alerts us to a new idea or possibility. And And just that time away, because I think in traveling... And I, I just came back from Cape Cod that, uh, you know, and it was nine travel hours basically of, you know, of taxis and flights and waiting and airports. And, and so that, that nine hours is also time for reflection because we're not, we don't always have to be with people or it may be time to be with a loved one exclusively that we wouldn't ordinarily have because we're too busy sleeping or working or doing other kinds of things. So I think it's a part of it is about the experience of getting there, you know, and and so if that experience is removed and we're just either here or there, we don't have that space in the middle. That's so true. Which can be interesting. Oh, you're so insightful. I love it. That's awesome. Okay. Now I have this very silly question, Mr. From the banking background. If you were going to put anybody on a like a dollar bill, five dollar bill, twenty dollar bill. Who would it be? Um, I know hmm. you can pick more than one. <laughs> um, I I think it I think it might be um, a uh, an inspirational quote versus Ooh. maybe a person um, because I think you know people can be proxies for ideas certainly, but it's almost like maybe we want an idea to inspire people, you know, so maybe it would be the word think. Oh, I love it. Because I think that in this world, we were so busy doing that we're not really spending enough time thinking about things. You know, we're just, uh, we just have a knee-jerk reaction and we go about and do it. That was also on borrowing, by the way, from, from uh, IBM in the 1960s. They had that on a notebook that I somehow got uh, it was given to me, and I was inspired by that. And I was like, "Wow, yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of what we're here for, right? To kind of think and figure things out, and 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 figure out our own journey and destiny. And but you have to actually do some soul searching and thinking. To that doesn't just automatically happen. You have to be thoughtful about that and intentional about that. I love it. Bill Donius, thank you so much for being here today and talking with us. I have so appreciated this time. Thanks, Mish. Really appreciate it very much. I'm a big fan of yours, so it's an honor to be here with you. Oh, thank you. And thank you all for listening to Mishmash. We'll catch you next time.